The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. You know that already. We always have you in the right place because you're always running with the Game Changers here. I have a quote today to open the show. The buzz on the street is from Sir Philip Nigel Ross Green, born in 1952, chairman of the Arcadia Group, a big, big retail company that includes so many stores. I don't have time to mention them, but here's what his quote is. People are always going to go shopping. Think shopping, think retail. That's our topic today. Retail trends, the future of retail in the IoT digital age. So let me get started with our topic in earnest here. I have a quote from Ingram Micro Mobilities by Char Nedwari. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He told Forbes, quote, in five years, consumer electronic stores as we know them today won't even exist. And our favorite brand, apparel brands, won't even exist. Technological innovations in a hyper-connected world have significantly influenced consumer behaviors and expectations. Retailers are faced with a scary reality. Change or become obsolete. Big quote, a lot of important words in there. Big heavy-duty topic. Listen, if you're in retail, this show is for you. If you're a buyer of anything, anywhere, online, omni-channel, in a brick-or-mortar, and you use retail who doesn't the show is for you so stay tuned we have a great lineup today the bottom line is can retail survive and how will it survive and how well what will it be in the next five years we have a great panel of experts today super lineup let me just tell you who they are and then I'll start introducing them first up we're thrilled to welcome Doug Stephens the founder of retail profit p-r-o-p-h-e-t and the author of two groundbreaking books on retail the retail revival reimagining business for the new age of consumerism he wrote that in 2013. And his new book coming out next year, Re-Engineering Retail, The Future of Selling in a Post-Digital World, certainly captured all the buzz in there. So we'll be speaking with Doug in just a moment. We're also welcoming back one of our favorite retailers. It's Brian Kilcourse, a managing partner at Retail Systems Research, LLC, fondly known as RSR. And rounding out the panel is another previous guest. It's Greg McStravick, president of Database and Data Management at SAP. He has been on this series before as well. So let's get started. Doug Stephens at Retail Profit has sent me, by the way, whenever I looked up retail, I was looking for quotes to open the show. Almost every page I came to had a quote from Doug Stephens. That's how he's, we know he's everywhere and people are listening to him and he's speaking the truth. So Doug, I had trouble finding that that quote from, um, who would I, from my opening quote from Philip Green, because every time I looked up retail quotes, there you were. So 
Doug is quoting, fascinating, Doug is quoting somebody from the music world, Miles Davis. Everybody remember him? He lived from 1926 to 1991, an American jazz trumpeter, band leader, composer among the most influential and acclaimed figures in the history of jazz and 20th century music, and he changed directions. Here's the key. Miles Davis had ever-changing directions in music, so he was at the forefront of major stylistic developments in jazz over his five-decade career. I think there's a hint in there. Here is the quote Doug has selected from Miles Davis. Don't fear mistakes. There are none. Doug Stevens, welcome. How are you today? I'm very good, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me. We're delighted. I was so intrigued that you picked Miles Davis, Miles Davis to quote for the opening. That's, that's fascinating. And when I read his bio, I realized that he is somebody who has morphed and changed and grown and not let disruption stop him. In effect, he may have been the one who was disrupting music. So talk to me about the quote. Why did you pick it? And how does it relate to retail trends in the next five years, Doug? Well, I think there are a lot of parallels, frankly, between mm-hmm. retail and art. And, and I think we're coming back to a point in history where we're going to be rediscovering the art in retail. That, that it's, you know, I think as we move out of the big box era and um, it becomes somewhat more sophisticated uh, about our approaches to retail, I think the art is going to come back. And the other thing I love about that quote is the fact that, you know, in order to, to iterate and to innovate, it, it, by definition, you have to make mistakes, and, and I think that that's why someone like Miles Davis was so diverse in, in his creative journey. You know, you cannot be afraid to make mistakes. In fact, Jeff Bezos recently said that Amazon is the best place to fail because they have a high tolerance for it, and they almost demand that people be trying hard enough to fail. So I think there's just a lot of truth in that statement. Very interesting. Thank you. We we don't often get people from the music world quoted on these shows, so I was very intrigued. And I think somewhere, Doug, somewhere in the back of the, the front hall closet where I have a stack of, believe it or not, LPs. You remember the, the vinyl thing that was big and round and had a little hole in the middle and it has a big cover with liner notes? Remember those? Are you old enough to remember those? I, I sure am. Yeah, I'm going to confess that I am old enough to know what that is. Thank you. Well, I'm already, I've already confessed that I am. I have a whole stool, slew of them, and I have a feeling there's a Miles Davis album in there somewhere. So thank you for joining us, Doug. And now let me welcome Brian Kilcourse at RSR Retail Systems Research. And Brian has sent us a quote from John Chambers, still alive, age 67. He remembers vinyl, I'm sure. John Thomas Chambers is the executive chairman and former CEO of Cisco Systems. Interestingly enough, those of you who have any kind of a learning disability, you might be intrigued to know that at age nine, Chambers was diagnosed with dyslexia. A therapist helped him cope. He went on to earn a BS and BA degree in business, a law degree from West Virginia University, an MBA in finance and management from the Kelly School of Business. He attended the School of Engineering at Duke University, and he began a career in tech sales at IBM at age 27 and then moved to Wang Laboratories. So dyslexia didn't stop him, and it certainly doesn't have to stop anybody. Here is the wonderful quote that Brian has selected from Mr. Chambers, and I quote, If you don't transform and use this internet-connected, always-on digital technology differently, you're going to get disrupted, and it'll be a brutal disruption. Brian Kilcourse, welcome back. How have you been? I've been good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Do you remember vinyl? I think you do. 
I have a I have a closet full of vinyl. Yeah. You too. <laughs> my, my closet should get together with your closet. And I have something for Doug. I've been a a rock and roller my whole life, and there's a golden rule of rock and roll, and that's that if you make a mistake, do it twice, and people will think you're innovating. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear, that's a good one. I, that definitely goes back to the Miles Davis quote, I believe. So, Brian, talk to me about John Chambers. Are you a big fan, or you just happen to find this quote, which is so appropriate? And how brutal is brutal when we're talking about retail? Well, we're talking very brutal. Um, first of all, John uh, John was um, the, uh, the sales executive at Cisco, and he talked me into switching our company off of SNA and onto IP networks back in the early 90s, and I have followed him for many, many years. He's uh, at one time I considered him a pretty close friend. And uh, every time we talk about interconnectedness of business, I start to think about uh, John Chambers because he's been such a he's been such a um, uh, a cheerleader for that for that uh, change. When he talks about uh, the brutal disruption. He's he's really talking about moving from a transactionally driven model, as many retailers are, to a sense and respond model. Uh, much more of a I think of it as an ecosystem view of the business. And um, and I agree with him that if you don't switch from this kind of staid, uh, slow uh, cycle of change to a very, very fast sense and response cycle, you're going to get left in the cold, and you'll be left back in the 20th century. And nobody wants to do that, do they? No, absolutely not. Oh, yeah. We we, we did a show yesterday. I'm trying to think. I do so many of these uh, Game Changer shows. One of the comments yesterday was that the, the pace of change now is that every year there's more change than the past few years all combined, and it's just getting even faster. So, yes, uh, brutal was a very appropriate word there. Thank you, Brian. Welcome back. And now let's welcome Greg McStravick. Greg is somewhere on the New Jersey Turnpike on a cell phone. I hope you've pulled over to a safe place. And Greg has sent us a quote from John Maynard Keynes, or Keynes, you may pronounce it. First Baron Keynes, CBFBA, a British economist who lived until 1946. His ideas fundamentally changed the theory in practice of macroeconomics and the economic policies of entire governments. They're known as Keynesian economics. Talk about change. Here's the quote Greg has selected from Mr. Keynes. The difficulty lies not so much in developing new ideas as in escaping from old ones. Very profound. Greg McStravick, are you safe somewhere? Please say yes. I am, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you. Glad you're there. So talk to me. This this quote from, am I saying Keynes or Keynes? How do you say it? Uh, it's Keynes. Uh, Keynesian economics, yes. Oh, thank you very much. I said corrected. So talk to me. How did you pick this quote for our topic today, please? Uh, I, I was actually chuckling as I was listening to my colleagues that if my economics professor knew that I was quoting Keynes right now, he'd say what a complete uh, uh, transformation that Greg McStravick's gone through. Um <laughs> I just think if you read this, right, this is, uh, we're, we're in what everyone calls Industry 4.0. Uh, it's the next generation of uh, industries, and all industries are being disrupted, obviously, including retail. And what we see all the time is, you know, and I'll talk a little bit later about the um, digital dinosaurs and digital natives, mm-hmm. but you, you see companies in, this, in, in, in retail, for example, that are um, traditionalists that have a lot of dis- trouble disrupting themselves. And... You know, in any industry, you don't lack for new ideas and new ways to do things. That's not the problem. The problem is having the courage and the, and the um, leadership and gumption to let go of the old. And mm-hmm. typically we see it doesn't come naturally. And it takes someone else coming up from behind you to cause you 
to change and change quickly. And we, you guys are talking about music. Think about the mm-hmm. music industry. Think about the transition of the music industry and how it, it was disrupted by innovators along that continuum. And it's still being disrupted. And, and I just, I love the concept of, it's like the innovator's dilemma. And so Keynes really summarizes that for me in this quote. Thank you. Very, very, very interesting. The innovator's dilemma. You know, you mentioned two pieces of, uh, two phrases that you're going to talk about later in the show. But since you brought them up, Greg, I'd love for you to just give us a quick definition so that people are listening will know what's the difference between a digital immigrant sure. and a digital <laughs> native. Why don't you just pepper that up for us? Yeah. I actually think of it as a trilogy from a digital dinosaur to a digital immigrant to a digital native. So a digital native, <clears throat> I apologize is somebody that is unencumbered by a legacy. And so if you think of Uber or if you think of Airbnb and you can go across myriad industries and look at companies that are starting from ground zero with no legacy, those are what we call digital natives. They are in industry 4.0 and transforming those industries as startups. Digital dinosaurs are those who were asleep and it passed them by. And I hold up Blockbuster every time I talk about this. And I actually think in the music industry, if we've been referencing, you know, the world of iTunes is going to change. And, you know, you don't have to buy music anymore. We all know that. And so those, there's examples across many industries of these digital dinosaurs that failed to innovate and died. In the middle, you have immigrants, those that are challenged with letting go of the past to grow in the future. And that's most, most companies in most industries um, and their challenge is to constantly ask themselves, how do I uh, rate pace ahead of or at least at the, at the same rate as a digital native and make sure I am investing to innovate in my enterprise? Very, very interesting, Greg. Uh, thank you for that, the nomenclature. Very fascinating. Before we go to what's in your cup today, I'm just going to ask Doug Stephens to comment on dinosaurs, immigrants, and natives referencing digital, and we'll get Brian Kilcourse to comment too. Doug, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we all confront this as uh, as people who are out there working with organizations who are facing these transitions. I think it's it's very true that one of the, the most difficult things to do is to get organizations to let go of paradigms or even to challenge their own paradigms. And so oftentimes that's one of the first steps because, you know, when we talk about change and transformation and, and the challenges that lay ahead, Oftentimes, the question comes back to, to me and I'm sure, uh, you know, our, our, our other panelists, uh, what's the first step? And to me, I think the first step is to confront the things that you believe to be uh, the immutable laws of, of your industry or of your category. I think, I think as an organization, you have to confront those. I think you should go through the exercise of listing them, list your paradigms, and then systematically challenge them. Uh, consciously make an effort to challenge each of those paradigms and provoke uh, compelling discussions around those things. You know, that, I think, to me, the dialogue is the first step. It's not a matter of just going out and buying a, a piece of technology or hiring the right consulting company. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very internal and organic process of coming to grips with your beliefs as an organization. Thank you, Doug. Great comments. Brian Kilcourse, love to get your POV on this before we move on. What do you think? 
Well, uh, first of all, I'll characterize myself as a digital vacationer. Um, I'm, I'm not a dinosaur, I don't believe. I've been in uh, IT my whole my whole adult life. But uh, a digital native to me is a person who doesn't uh, who can't imagine life um, without some sort of a digital device in their hand or in their home. And of course, we see people like that every day. The important thing to know is that those people are are those are our employees, our customers, of course, our children. And someday they're going to be our bosses, and um, they don't they don't see the a world without a, a let's call it a rich ocean of of information available to them. Retailers, uh, on the other hand, since we're talking about retailers, they live in a carbon based world. Uh, they're used to moving things, and um, one of the biggest challenges I've seen with retailers that we've worked with with my company is that they fundamentally don't believe in the strategic value of information. Mm. Um, and and that's a huge issue for for um, the leadership in retail today. And we can't wait for these digital natives to take over those companies and and take for granted what we are still arguing about today. Uh, we have to we have to challenge our paradigms and move forward. The biggest problem with with information generally is that people don't know what they don't know, so they don't know what kind of questions to ask. They don't know how to query the 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 available data to to glean insights from them. And um, it, and it's up to it's up to somebody. I think it's up to the digital natives to to challenge them to do just exactly that. And you used two very powerful words, in my opinion. You used uh, uh, challenge and you used takeover. Do you think the the powers that be in retail realize that they're going to have to be taken over in order to survive? And that was one of my opening questions, uh, addressing this to the whole panel. How will retail survive? Can it survive? What's, what does it have to do? So we can save the answer to that a little bit later because now I want to make sure our audience gets to know our panelists a little more personally, up close and personal. Doug Stephens, we'd love to know where you are today. We don't need the street address, just in general. And what do you drink that fuels you as the retail? Profit. Tell tell us what really what really gets you going in the morning. Uh, I survive on copious amounts of coffee, and and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, if if I have one vice left in my life, it's caffeine. So, um, <laughs> as, a, as a matter of fact, I am in, uh, and I'm happy to say I'm I'm in my office today. I've been traveling uh, all week, and speaking of coffee. I'm a bit of a Starbucks addict, and I found myself early in the week in Tel Aviv, and I opened up my Starbucks app and clicked on stores to see where the closest store was, and, and much to my chagrin, the closest store was about 150 kilometers away. So I've been in a state of withdrawal for a while, so uh, two reasons to be happy to be home. And what's your favorite brand? Is it Starbucks all the time, or do you have a brand you brew something interesting at home? Um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I go out for coffee uh, quite a bit, and, and I find it's almost as much a, a mental break, uh, you know, as it is really a, a physiological uh, addiction. I think it's just nice to, you know, get out and, um, and, and take, a, take a, a little respite every now and then. But uh, when, when, when I do brew at home, I brew uh, on a Verissimo, which is also a Starbucks machine. So I'm Starbucks through and through. Very nice. Thank you. Brand plugs are just fine on the show. We appreciate it, Doug. Thanks for joining us. Brian Kilcourse, where art thou and what are you drinking or what's going to power you up later? I'm in cold and clear northern California up in the Sierra foothills in a little rural place called Grass Valley, uh, which is about an hour away from Lake Tahoe if you're driving from San Francisco to Tahoe. And I'm drinking, as I always do every morning, unless I can't get to it, is a cup of Pete's French Roast. 
So I'm, mm. I'm much worse than Doug. I'm, I'm a real coffee snob when it comes to Pete's, and I keep reminding Starbucks lovers that the or, uh, two uh, founders of Starbucks learned to roast from Alfred Pete at Pete's Coffee. So I went straight to the source. Um, and, um, and I drink it every day, and like Doug, I'm truly addicted to it. I'm not ashamed of that. Thank goodness the medical industry has not found anything bad with coffee yet. Otherwise, I'd be in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> they will. Don't worry. They will. There'll be, a, there'll be a phase like oat bran and too much cholesterol and eggs. Did everybody hear that the world's oldest woman, I believe, is in Italy? She's approaching 117, and her secret of life is she eats four raw eggs a day and a lot of cookies, and that she doesn't believe in staying with a bad spouse, so she divorced her husband before divorce was even legal, and she wrote down she was divorcing him on a piece of paper. They said a tablet, but you know if she's 117, it wasn't an iPad. Did anybody hear that? So the answer is raw eggs. And now, because of health issues, she's down to two raw eggs and cookies every day, 117. I don't know what to say. Amazing. I just don't. Amazing. Yeah, my mom turns 109 weeks from now, and, and she told me she's not going to start eating a diet of raw eggs and cookies. So we're, we're just going to stay much more traditional. Mr. Greg McStravick, you're somewhere in New Jersey. Uh, I won't tell the exit, but tell us, what do you love to drink when you're somewhere where you can pick up a drink and not driving? Um, I don't know that I'd say I love it, but I do the same. I have my morning coffee, but I also am a big, um, I like to have... Um, like green shake, so I'll do a mix of cucumber, kale, spinach, that kind of stuff. I usually do something like that every morning. How does it taste? Uh, it's okay. You always put a little sweet in there, like an apple or pineapple to cut it a little bit, but uh, that makes me feel healthy. How's that? Especially with I'm glad. I do. It makes me feel healthier. Yeah. I'm glad you feel healthier. I've heard about those drinks. I've tried making some kale shakes, not 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 fitting into my smile. But anyway, what can I tell you? I am drinking cool, clear water from a cool, clear mug with a yellow straw because we had two days of such inundating rain here that it was just miserable even venturing out of the house, out of the office for the past 48 hours. The flower boxes on my terrace were so high, filled with water, that you could see the rain bouncing off the top of the flower boxes because they were lakes. That's how bad it was. But today it's sunny and beautiful, clear, almost clear blue skies. And so I have a yellow straw in honor of the sunshine that has returned to New York. So I want to tell our listeners, we're going to take a quick break, the pause that refreshes, but don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a great topic here talking about retail. It impacts you, whether you're in the industry, or whether you're a buyer of anything, brick and mortar online, anything in between omni-channel, we need to know what's going to happen to retail. The topic is future of retail trends in the IoT digital age. And a shout out to the sponsor of this series, Ira Burke, who is listening and tweeting. My goodness, he's tweeting faster than I am. That says something. And Ira, I'm so pleased to say, is renewing this series for next year. So in 2017, we're going to have 15 Game Changers series. Yes, yes, yes. So we'll be right back. Take a break. And Michael, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Indeed, here we are talking about the future of retail trends in the IoT digital age. It is now, oh my, December 1st, 2016. We're hurtling toward 2017. And retail, of course, is top of mind for everybody because it is gift buying season. Or maybe for some of you, gift returning season, as the case may be. We're speaking today with Doug Stephens, the retail prophet, Brian Kilcourse at RSR, and Greg McStravick at SAP. We're going to kick off the roundtable right now with some comments from Mr. Stephens. And Doug sent me a lot of very interesting notes, but we decided during the break, here's where we're going to start the discussion. So he says, media is becoming the store, and the store is becoming media. Let me elaborate with one more sentence, and then Doug will jump in. The traditional relationship whereby the purpose of media was to drive traffic to stores will be completely reinvented. Fascinating. Doug, please tell us more. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of speculation about the future of retail and really within that future where brick-and-mortar stores uh, will exist or, or if they will exist. A few years ago, Mark Andreessen, uh, the co-founder of Andreessen Horowitz and actually the co-founder of uh, Netscape, uh, made a comment uh, in an online interview where he said that uh, retail essentially is dead. I think to quote him directly, he said, software is eating retail. There's only going to be a few major online marketplaces. They're going to sell everything. That's where everyone's going to go to buy, and conventional retailers are, are finished. And, um, of course, you know, you can imagine the debate that, that ensued after those comments. I, I began exploring this whole question of, you know, the future fate of, of brick-and-mortar retail. And what I've discovered is something I think is a lot more complex certainly a lot more optimistic and, and, and not binary. I think, you know, Mark is making the point that as e-commerce grows, brick-and-mortar stores must necessarily die, and I don't believe that's the case at all. What's actually happening is that every form of media now in the landscape, uh, whether it's our smartphone, our smart TV, our social network, even a billboard that may be connected with our mobile technology, is in essence becoming a store it's, it's short-circuiting the relationship between media and distribution, and it's allowing consumers to buy in that moment, in that instant, directly. So that raises the question, then, if everything around us is becoming a store, what is the purpose of a brick-and-mortar store? And what you mm-hmm. see happening in the landscape now, 
from enlightened retailers is enlightened retailers are catching on to the idea that their stores are actually transforming into a powerful form of media. That the purpose of a store now, a physical store, uh, is not necessarily or solely to distribute products, but rather to distribute experiences. And it's actually remarkable how, how measurable these experiences are becoming with, with the kinds of technologies now that we have that we can put into physical environments to actually measure customer movement, uh, customer engagement, and even you know, customer sentiment within these environments. So that, to me, is what's really happening, and I think that's what's making this all the more complex for retailers to get their arms around. Stores aren't dying. They're just being completely reinvented and becoming a channel for physical media. Very interesting perspective. Love to get Brian Kilcourse's POV on this. Brian, thoughts? Well, you know, it's um, I always I'm always a little bit leery of uh, comments when people say retail is dead. Uh, retail, as we know it, is probably um, uh, probably dead, but retail, the activity, is not dead. If you think about what retail is, it, it, it's the place where uh, demand and supply meet. It's the first level of demand aggregation. And how that demand gets fulfilled is always changing. Um, now, what's, what's changed in, in today's world is that the shopping experience begins, likely is not, in the digital domain, which is free of walls and, and roofs and floors. It's, it's digital. Um, there was a piece of news that came out today that said that 50% of, of consumers are now actually beginning their shopping experience by looking for information about products on Amazon. Just a mm-hmm. fascinating data point. So the, the, the traditional notion that consumers are essentially empty vessels when they walk into a store and that, and that they're malleable to any kind of messaging that happens on the shop floor is, is demonstrably not true. Um, so so, so that, is, that is in peril, of course, and retailers who don't realize that are really going to suffer. This is the big disruption I see for traditional boxes. But uh, consumers like to shop, number one. You know, they, they have lifestyle needs that need to be fulfilled, and the question is how are those going to be fulfilled and, and what's the combination of physical and digital experiences are, are, are going to be important to make that happen. Um, the, the thing about the stores is, is that it provides two things. It provides the opportunity for consumers to experience a product, and it's also fun. It's just entertaining or used should be fun. Um, if you mm-hmm. go into a Burberry or an Apple store, that's a good example of fun. Uh, the digital domain is making it possible for products to be experienced, um, or it's called a proxy of the product to be experienced in the digital domain. A perfect example is, is music or a book, right? We can experience those things in the digital domain. We don't have to pick up that LP you talked about this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that gets disrupted or disintermediated. Um, one of the things that fashion is struggling with is they felt a little comfortable with the fact that if the, the one thing you had to experience in real time was, how does this dress make me look? Do these shoes fit? <laughs> but in fact, we all know that there are technologies now that are going to answer those questions and they're going to create disruption in, the, in that domain. How does the fruit smell? Is the melon soft or hard? Those kinds of things. Uh, are, are The digital domain is, is attacking those old notions that you have to experience the product in real time. So the store is going to change or it's going to, or it's going to die. Is retail going to die? As long as people need, have needs, lifestyle needs, and need to have them fulfilled, there will be something that we call retail. 
Thank you very much. Great pronouncements there. Greg McStravick, we're waiting for your two cents or $10, whatever you got in your plastic today. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know that I can add much um, more content to what the two uh, colleagues just shared, but, you know, my own experiences um, can validate the retail experience clearly has been changing. And I think it obviously changes more um, it, it, it for certain products than others, at least today. You know, when I think of fashion retail or I think of um, auto and those types of areas, um, I think the ability for digital transformation of the retail experience is probably greater today than you might see in um, uh, consumables like, um, um, you know, a CVS or a Walmart, what have you. Um, and and they are transitioning, but I, again, I think depending upon the products, um, the retail experience has more or less of an opportunity um, to change from brick and mortar to a digital experience. So uh, I, I love listening to the colleagues because then I'm thinking of my own experiences mm-hmm. and where I am seeing it more impact the way I, you know, as a retailer experience the digital, digital world. Um, I will also, I'll, I'll share this with you. Even those um, categories like, I don't know, consumable goods, right? So, so when I think of a CVS, uh, things like augmented reality and virtual reality will impact those areas. And I actually think in, 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 in that space, in the consumer goods space, you have more of a chance to leverage some of these technologies um, in the future than maybe, uh, you know, like a high-end fashion retailer. So I'm really interested that hopefully we're going to have a chance to chat about with our colleagues their vision on the impact of things like augmented reality or virtual reality could have on the retail experience in the future. Thank you very much. Very interesting, Greg. Glad you chimed in. Um, I'm going to share one quick comment here on a recent retail experience. I enjoy, I think, uh, Greg, you said, who is it who said you like getting out of the house and going to buy coffee? Was that Greg or Doug, the experience of getting out? That was me, Doug. Okay, Doug. Well, I like the experience since I I work from my home office and I do hours and hours of radio every week for SAP here on Game Changers. I enjoy just getting in my car, which doesn't get used very much, and going to a retail store and expecting a fun experience, whether I buy anything or not. I expect a certain decorum among the staff at the retail store. I expect to hear certain things and be told certain things and to have questions answered politely and in a timely fashion. Two experiences. Number one, I recently wrote and produced a couple of plays for my TV show, but one required Mardi Gras-style masks for people in the play. That was part of the of the aura of what I was trying to create. I went to a party store. I asked them if they had any. They said no. All the camps on Long Island had color wars. We sold out of all of our masks, period, end of story. I asked, when are you getting more in? They said, we don't know. I said, can you check your inventory? They said, maybe next Tuesday. Come back then. I came back next Tuesday like a fool. The boxes were piled high to the ceiling. I said, did you get any masks in? They said, we don't know. We didn't open the boxes yet. Okay? You can react in a minute. Number two, basically, I ended up going online and buying the most gorgeous Mardi Gras masks from a a global retailer who had stock coming out of the wazoo. Anything I wanted, the price was great, and they were delivered in 24 hours free. So that was number one. Number two, I recently went into a a discounter looking for some cute boots, excuse the expression, and I found the boots, except while I was trying on my boots, self-service shoe department, there were two seasonal workers there, two young men, having a very loud discussion about what hair products they should use when they shampoo their hair. 
I'm not kidding you. This was loud. This was taking over the store. One told the other, what do you use in your shampoo? What kind of conditioner? Two men. And when the girl who was in charge of the department, they'd say, hey, hey, Jeanette, come on over. We need help. Where do these boots go? And they'd scream, and she would appear with her headset, and she would talk. She had no idea what they were doing. I don't know who was the boss. When I asked them for where certain products were, they said, we don't think we carry them, when right around the corner in another wall of a store, there were 15 brands of what I was looking for. No clue. So I'm just going to go around and talk to the panel quickly. Doug Stephens, retail experience. How crappy was what I experienced, and is this going to be what happens in the future, or are we going to get rid of this disruption? Well, this is the problem. I think you, you've, you've really hit on one of the major problems, and that is this growing dissonance between the online experiences that we have and the offline experiences. As an online consumer, I'm becoming more and more calibrated to expect that I'm going to get a lot of information. I'm going to get great visuals to look at when making a decision about a product. I may get the ability to read reviews from people who have actually used the product. Uh, there may be video that, that shows me demonstrations. So I have all this data at my disposal, and it makes my decision process very easy. Then I choose to go and walk into a store, and it's a digital desert. There's mm-hmm. no information. Yes. There's no one that, that can help me find the right information. And oftentimes you're confronted with what you describe, and that is almost belligerently bad service. Uh, Nobody knows where their inventory is or if they even have the product that you're looking for. So there is this growing chasm between these two experiences. And retailers need to understand that there's a breaking point that we're heading towards where consumers will, in certain cases, simply stop going to the store. It will become uh, a useless exercise. And they also leave the door open every time they do that to a disruptor that comes along and says, I can improve that experience online through some digital technology. Uh, We sit on the forefront right now of, I think somebody mentioned uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. Mm -hmm. We've got companies like Magic Leap now that are creating mixed reality, uh, which by all accounts is absolutely mind-bending in terms of its ability to replicate the real world or or real uh, environments. Um, so, I mean, we're sitting on the precipice right now of an entirely unique and new and remarkable uh, shopping experience online. So anyone that is providing the kind of service you described, uh, frankly, doesn't even deserve to be in the game anymore. Thank you. I was beginning to think the same thing. Let's move to Brian. Thoughts on uh, what I shared, my little anecdotes? You want to have any of your own? <laughs> There were several fireable offenses that happened in your little anecdote. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, keying off on what, what Doug just said, you know, the stores, if, yeah, I think about stores in my entire adult life, you know, and I've worked for retailers for most of that time. Stores are designed to be intentionally inconvenient for consumers. And that's why grocers put milk and eggs in the back of the store, and why pharmacies, mm-hmm. the pharmacy desk is at the very, very back of the store. Right. That's because retailers have known that the longer consumers in the store, the more likelihood the basket is going to grow, not just in, in dollars or in you know, margin dollars, but also in margin percentages. It's a dynamic that's very old. But um, consumers go to stores nowadays informed. They don't want to have to slog through uh, 24 aisles of of, uh, irrelevant product just to get to the one thing that they need. They come to the store informed. 
Um, now, the, the notion that you're going to now stick an employee in, in front of, of a customer who is really kind of like a guided missile going straight to the product that they've already investigated and they've read the reviews and they've read the products and they've, and they've done all the comparable um, um, investigations. And the only reason they're at the store is for the convenience of picking up the product. You think that you're now going to stick an employee that you're paying minimum wage and have spent zero hours training in any, mm-hmm. in any useful way for the consumer is just kind of silly on the face of it. Um, and this is a retailer's big problem, is that the store is designed for a different kind of consumer, a consumer that had no real strong notion of what the availability of the inventory was, what price to pay, where you could get it, or what was the most convenient way to have it fulfilled. Now the consumer has a very strong notion of all of those things, and, uh, and, and, and you're having them experience a, a, this intentionally inconvenient uh, moment. Why would they go? Um, this is this is what retailers have to answer. That's right. Annoying. And I'm just going to bring up three points from your notes, which we were going to address, and I think you just covered them. Number one, you say retailers have started to hone in on three challenges they hope Internet of Things will help address. Number one, inventory visibility and accuracy, which I just told you didn't exist where I went. Uh, interacting with digitally enabled consumers in the physical store. You just talked about that, Brian, and making mm-hmm. the physical store more effective for consumers. I think we just uh, kind of sideways tackled those three. But I want to get Greg McStravick's comments on your experiences in retail. Anything like what I experienced, Greg? Well, I think what's uh, what's interesting when I listen to you describe your experiences, what was the variable that you couldn't control? It was the human element, right? Yes, um, yes. And so in the digital experience, in the digital world, you eliminate a lot of that human experience. Um, some people struggle with that, quite frankly. Um, others don't. I actually, Bonnie, was interested I'm guessing um, a a digital native younger than maybe you or me probably would have started their Mardi Gras mask shopping experience online first. I'm really interested why you went to a brick and mortar first. Um, I wanted to to get out of the house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Different reasons, right? Um, But, uh, you know, the human element is what you experienced. And um, I think you'd agree that more and more as we transition to this digital, digital world in all industries, um, the role of, especially in retail, the role of and the importance of that that human person is going to be compromised. It's going to be reduced. I mean, that somebody didn't have the ability to do um, um, an inventory check for you at the moment on their iPad it, it is actually to whoever said it earlier. It's just a, I don't know what store that is, but they probably will not be around in the next couple of years. It's unacceptable in today's, yeah. in today's digital world. I agree. I, I totally agree. Yes. Um, I, the only reason, the main reason I went there, Greg, in honesty, was that I knew they had masks because I had bought some basic masks for other purposes before, just little uh, party masks for something. And I figured mm-hmm. they would have mm-hmm. something a little more elegant that I was looking for. And so I expected to see at least the basics. The basics had been completely wiped out and they said, color wars, we're out. And that was the end of the story. So they really didn't give a you know what. So very, very mm-hmm. interesting around the table. Uh, Brian Kilcourse, I was going to go to your notes, but as I said, we really covered all three of those topics. Anything else you want to add on inventory visibility, interacting with digitally enabled consumers <coughs> in the physical, and physical store being more con- more effective for consumers before I move to Greg's notes? Brian, anything very, else you want to well, add there? Yeah, just very quickly. Uh, it's yeah. important for retailers to know that although inventory visibility and something approaching real time might be one of their biggest systems challenges today, consumers expect it to already be there. 
Um, so in, in your example, so perfect. Um, you expect retailers to know where the inventory is because there's a very good chance that you know where the inventory is in, oh, the, yeah. in the digital universe. You've checked all the competition. You've gotten onto Amazon. You've done all these things, and you decided for one reason or another to go to the store because probably because of the immediacy of your need and um, only to discover that they aren't really sure where their inventory is or how much they have. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's the thing that retailers have to just you know, grit their teeth and accept that consumers expect visibility in real time because they have something that they think is the, the, the equivalent of that. Absolutely. To me, it's, it's a question of the stores do not have managers who are trained in protecting the brand. There's not enough control of the staff. The staff are just allowed to, well, I have to go to work. It's eight hours. I'm going to spend most of it talking to my friend on the next cash register on our iPhones playing on Pinterest and Instagram. There's no sense that you are part of a brand, part of representing what the store is trying to convey to anybody who walks in that door at any moment during the, the hours that the store is open. There's no no sense of a trickle-down shared advocacy for the store. There's no sense that we need to train our people that the minute somebody speaks with them on our premises that they represent everything that we want our brand to be. And that to me is the downfall. Is, is Somebody said it's the human experience, the human element, but the training isn't there and the idea that even the, I'll use this word very advisedly, the lowest level employee is still part of the bigger picture. And I think that's been lost. Maybe because of digital. Maybe they think it's not that important. But I think it's even more important. So enough of the soapbox for me. Greg McStravick, we already talked about digital immigrants, digital natives. Uh, let's talk about, oh, here's a good one. This is the era of marketing to the audience of one. I don't think you covered that yet. Greg, tell us what that means, and then we'll go around the table. Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, in Industry 4.0, and if you, you know, I, I hopefully um, our listeners are familiar with at least in some broad brush with that concept, but when you go through the the uh, the evolution of industries, we're in what everyone calls Industry 4.0, and that that's really defined by data, uh, and information is the new currency, it's the new blood. And there are so many different sources and uh, useful sources of data that um, really smart in, in retail, really smart retailers can leverage. I, I do a lot of work with a, a um, sports apparel company, which, by the way, I think does a very good job in the brick-and-mortar retail experience. They do train their staff very, mm-hmm. very well. Um, but they're, they're leveraging sources of data um, such that, and it'll continue to grow for them because actually a lot of their products will have smart wearables um, sensory data um, devices in the, in the actual product that you're wearing or using. Um, but, but they're capturing, um, you know, the digital athlete information, and they're, they're able to understand the patterns, lifestyles, activities of the individual athlete, and from that are, are, are able to custom offer and tailor uh, offers to that individual. And, you know, that, that, that takes... A ability to leverage um, both, you know, what we call systems of record data or transactional systems data, but also unstructured data like how many miles the person just ran, geospatial data, where did they run? Um, maybe they're in Europe right now. I don't know. Um, what was their heart rate? Do we notice anything unique about their heart pattern this time? Can we tell them that? Um, there's so many other sources of data 
including sentiment data from the, from the consumers themselves about their products. And so you're starting to see really smart companies leverage these myriad disparate sources of data, leveraging data scientists to interpret the data, you know, for a lot of different purposes, up to and including the audience of one marketing to that individual. And uh, I just think it's going to continue to happen more and more in, in a lot of different retail spaces. And I, I just like to close with something. We've touched on mm-hmm. it a couple times. I have this vision of the virtual reality and audience of one marketing to me when I'm doing um, I mentioned CVS, CVS. I can visually see myself at some point in the future having on my iPhone, you know, when I go grab the last toothpaste out of the cupboard, I scan the barcode, it's building an inventory of products I need. And eventually, when it gets to a, a certain level, it's going to allow me to go. It's going to warn me and tell me, look, you've got a bunch of stuff you need, so toothpaste, whatever. And I'm going to sit down with my virtual reality or augmented reality, and I am going to go shopping. And it's going to recommend to me how to fulfill my inventory list of consumables that I need, that I've, or, uh, that I've consumed and I, my cupboard's empty on. And, oh, by the way, it might recommend other things to me based on prior buying patterns. I do see that world coming. Um, I know some retailers that are working on it right now. And I think the concepts of the, the, the digital uh, retailer and the concepts of next-generation technology like augmented reality or virtual reality really present both the greatest challenges but also the greatest opportunities for these retailers in the future. And the smart ones, like we said earlier, are not waiting. They're disrupting themselves so that they are better tomorrow than they are today and are not, not the ones disrupted by somebody else. Thank you very much. That was fascinating. Do you find that opportunity thinking about that, Greg? Is that exciting to you that you'll have AR and you'll be able to be notified of what's missing on the shelf? Is that exciting? Oh, it's brilliant. I love it. I think it's incredible. And I'm telling you, I mean, I believe in my heart. You know, self-driving car, I don't know if people appreciate this. I think it's uh, 1.2 billion cars in the world. And the utilization rate is 4% on those automobiles. That means there's 96% capacity in the autos in the world. It's a waste. So when you think about self-driving cars and the disruption, there's nothing that tells me after I order that stuff from that CVS or wherever virtually, five minutes later, the car is going to be in my driveway delivering the product to me. It will happen. It will happen. And it's exciting because that's what innovation is about. That's what transformation is about. And it's, you know, either do that and get on board or you become a dinosaur. Yep. Dinosaur who's not going to walk the earth anymore or much longer. Let's circle around to our retail profit. Doug Stephens, love to get your POV on marketing to an audience of one and AR. Thoughts, please. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I will, I will, I'll call Greg's uh, bet there and I'll, and I'll raise him uh, as well. I, I would say that not only will augmented reality or, or mixed reality, which, whichever uh, technology you choose, not only will it reinvent the ability to go to the store, but I think what it's also going to do is reinvent the definition of what the store is. Mm-hmm. I, I think that to say that, you know, we're just going to recreate um, a drugstore in virtual reality and allow, allow ourselves to virtually walk those aisles is almost a, um, it's a sad use of such a promising technology. What I'd like to see is a point where I can go clothing shopping by going into a celebrity's home 
virtually and maybe, you know, going through their closets and seeing what they're wearing and then choosing some of those items or see what's in their refrigerator and, and then I can choose to buy some of those things. So I think what we can do with a lot of these technologies is actually redefine what a store is, redefine what a shopping experience is. On the other hand, too, I just want to make the point, too, that I think for stores to, for retailers at this point to be saying, um, you know, we need to we need to be able to point a customer to a product when they come in, and we need to know where our inventory is, and we need to have our, our staff be relatively well informed. I think even to shoot that low is really be, being behind the game now. I think that if 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 we accept the idea that retail stores are becoming a media channel for the brand to your point Bonnie I think when I walk into a retail store in the future I want to be absolutely blown away I want to mm-hmm. be drawn into a brand story. I want to be talking with a brand ambassador. I want to be familiarized with the ecosystem of purchase opportunities. I want to see products I've never seen before and be able to try all of those things as well. So I, I sort of look at it as being an adult theme park. You know, we need to start building stores like they're adult theme parks. And on the other side, we need to really start leveraging technology to redefine what the shopping experience looks like. You know, if I want to buy the next Kanye West album, wouldn't it be great if I could actually have a, a virtual listening party with Kanye himself? Um, now that, you know, some people might not want that at all. Um, <laughs> I'll choose my that, music that's myself, clearly please. clearly <laughs> just a matter of opinion, but, you know. But give give me cool Buble. We could have those kinds of experiences. Doug, I have to break it to you. I, I was remiss. I should have announced that we were in the crystal ball predictions round, but you did such a great job of talking to the future that you have just done your predictions, and I appreciate that. I can give 60 seconds for predictions, 2020 or any time in the future you want. Brian Kilcourse, you know how this works. Give me your predictions. What do you see coming down the pike, or what are your warnings, similar to what Doug Stevens just shared? What are your warnings for retailers in the next three to five years? What do they need to do to survive? Well, what what the digital – what digital reality that we have available to us today has, has created the opportunity or the, or the necessity for what uh, we call intimacy at scale. And that is that, or another way to look at it is it's democratized true clienteling. Um, clienteling used to be the exclusive domain to very, very, very high-end brands um, that where personalization was the key to a cell. If you don't want to experience that, go to Cartier's in, um, in Paris. But it's it's made it it's made it possible for for retailers like the ones mentioned today, um, uh, CVS is a, an example, and and many others that to to bring that level of personalization to the experience. Now, personalization doesn't happen in the physical domain only; it happens in the digital domain as well, and these things need to work seamlessly together because those digital natives that we were talking about expect it, and it's even for the most mundane of things. For example, you know, we talk, Doug mentioned refrigerators, the ability to predict when somebody is going to be out of the basics and recommend that they make a purchase. That's pretty obvious. Um, Thank you, Brian. Hand, I need to uh, I need to save sixty seconds for Greg. Excuse me okay, for interrupting, for Greg. For Greg, jump on it. Sixty seconds. Go. I could have just listened to Brian. Um, <laughs> okay, turn it over to Brian. It's fine. <laughs> I would just simply tell tell everyone that um, retailers and these colleagues know this. The, the people you think you're competing with today are not the people you're going to be competing with tomorrow. So even just the definition of a traditional retailer will change, and the digital natives will be the ones who 
um, from a different industry disrupt the retail industry. And, and that's what's going to really happen, in my opinion. Thank you very much. Great prophecies from Doug Stephens, the Retail Prophet. Doug, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for joining us. Brian Kilcourse, RSR, such a pleasure. Always welcome on the show. Greg McStravick, safe driving wherever you are right now, and thanks for pulling over. We wanted you to be safe and sound. Great insights and a shout-out, of course, to Ira Burke, sponsor of the series. Ira, you knocked this one out of the park, kid. Great panel, wonderful speakers, great insights, great energy, and a shout-out as well to Michael at the Business Channel World Talk Radio. We had a a lot of tweeters today, too many for me to mention, but I will thank them. We Cherell and Ginger Shimp at SAP and all kinds of interesting people here tweeting. So go to hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O to see the tweets. I was trying my best to tweet and talk and host at the same time. I have a call to action for all of you. This is the last show of this season, but Ira will be back with Internet of Things starting in January. So you'll be listening for us then. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Okay, decorate it for the holiday if you have to. What are you waiting for? Go out and be just like Doug Stephens, just like Brian Kilcourse, just like Greg McStravick, just like Ira Burke, and just like me. Be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.